0: To Lloyd, 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 Lloyd. Kane, I know that you're a podcasting free agent, but am I going to be able to rely upon you to uh, see out the rest of the season? Uh,
1: maybe. Uh, we'd never know. If Geelong lose uh, in the finals again, I might just drop off before grand final week. So... Um, no guarantees. No guarantees. Yeah, that's a that's sort
0: of what I was feared. That's all right. I've got uh, I've got backup <laughs> plans in place in case you do pull an Aiden Cor. What do you think about that? So, Cor, um, we talked about him the other day uh, as an impending free agent and said he was going to leave the Giants, and he has left the Giants, but not at the end of the season. He's just booted now. He's not going to be playing in uh, round eighteen. He's not going to be playing in the finals if the unlikely scenario occurs that they do make it into the finals. What uh, what do you think about that? Um.
1: I don't think that he had to leave. I, I think the problem around this is is more the the media speculation or the media reports and the, and the way they discuss this type of thing. So now I think it makes him look bad. The fact that he left uh, from from all reports again, um, Leon Cameron said that he was shocked that it happened. So you know, from from that point of view, I, I, I think that he makes himself look bad now. I mean, he played in the team last week um, that that lost to to Adelaide. Oh, sorry, he played in that game where. Uh, they lost to Adelaide, not last week. But the the point is, he's been sort of a, a key member of the team. So I don't think it would have hurt to have him around for this last week, even if it is uh, their last game of the season. But again, I, I think that he probably um, felt some pressure to leave, that he wouldn't be welcome around there. And again, I think that that whole attitude is kind of, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, I mean, you know, especially for a team that is going to be in the finals, It doesn't matter if a guy, if a guy says he wants to leave, I understand there might be some frustration. There might be some awkwardness, but surely we can get over that and the guy can hang around the team still. Yeah, there's a a couple of things that are are pretty weird about just not this situation, but I guess the the
0: AFL and its approach to free agency in general. Now, I don't think we need to go down the route that happens in rugby where a player in June will just say, well, I'm done and I'm joining this team next year. And then you play another 10 weeks for that team. I, I think that's a little bit weird. But I also I don't why did Cord need to say that he was leaving now? Like why did that question have to come up at this point? Say so I'm out of contract end of the year and then we'll make those decisions at that point, point. and it's just it's almost like not almost it's exactly like leaving a workplace. You go to a any sort of workplace, you work there, you work there for a period of time, and you have you know periods of notice. Hey, I'm resigning. Here's my four weeks notice. I work out these four weeks and then I go somewhere else. Now, it's not exactly the same situation, but A, he didn't need to say he was leaving because he had an end date coming up. But B, like, just why? why won't you just play out the rest of the season? Why would it be awkward for him even to be there? Would the coaching staff be making it awkward on him? I doubt his teammates would because we've seen time and time again of players not really caring that much if a teammate moves to an, another team because they all know that it's their job. It's a business. They've got to make the money and do the best things for their career. So I don't think the players are going to be, Oh, Cor, cool. you dickhead. Yeah, where are you going? I think because so many of them move and, and leave uh, teams to try and better themselves. It's just a weird scenario. Surely it could have been done where Cor played it out. He knew his decision. The team, they've had negotiations that sort of stalemate it, and then the end of the season comes out and goes, thanks, guys, uh, I'm a free agent, but I'm, uh, I'm heading off. And the team goes, that's great, you fulfilled your contract. We'd love to have you back. We couldn't come to uh, yeah, agreement on this. And uh, everyone's just fine as they move on. It just is unnecessarily messy.
1: Yeah, to me, it seems like he's hedging his bets that they're not going to make the finals. because uh, yeah, has he has be. I mean, he missed last week's game with uh, an injury. It's interesting. I can't remember off the top of my head what he did, but he did... Uh, I thought he had some knee issues there at one point, but he doesn't show up on the injury report for Greater Western Sydney. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that he hasn't just been completely wiped off there because he left the hub. I don't think they've done that. So my only thinking is that uh, either he wasn't going to get selected this week um, or he wasn't healthy to play this week. So he said, eh, you know what, I'm out of here, boys. And if that's the case, um, yeah, it, it's still kind of strange. You would think that the team would stick together throughout this. But at the same time, uh, he's been in a hub for a long time. Maybe he's, maybe he thinks uh, stuff. This I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to uh, live a normal life for a couple of weeks here. Which again, if he wasn't going to play and he's leaving the club anyway, I guess I understand that one. That makes some sense. Even though I don't think again it would sit well with uh, with his teammates. Yeah, look, we we
0: saw that situation with a couple of guys from Fremantle earlier this year, where the docker said, mm. "Look, we we're not going to be you know, offering you a contract yeah. next year. Don't come up to the hub. It's just a, a strain on your life and on resources." And they went, "All right, that's cool," but this this is a little bit of a different situation because he was already there, and there is one game to go, and theoretically what they have a chance if, of still making the finals. Yeah, what happens if they make a miracle run to the grand final? You reckon he'll regret it? Ah, uh, you would think so. I think that's <laughs> it's probably a, it's probably a long shot, but again, just the the entire um way that free agency is processed from the you know, compensation picks to who becomes a free agent to this sort of stuff to the, um, yeah I guess, the the media or the general populace opinion of players who move teams is pretty sort of whack to me. It, it seems to be all over the shop in terms of how it should be handled when really it could all be handled very
1: maturely and a lot of the time it isn't. How do you think... Uh... How do you think we could actually change that in regards to... I know it it doesn't stop the speculation, but in terms of... And I think the players would be against this just going by uh, the fact that they spoke out about the the fact there was a contract freeze this year. They weren't able to sign extensions. Do you think there should be an eligibility date for extensions to start, as in contracts can't be extended before... And let's say it's a normal season, so contracts can't be extended before October 1st, uh, which would clear the grand final. It would mean that any of these contract situations wouldn't still be there. I mean, I guess a player could still say, I'm leaving, I'm up and out. Is there anything that you see in there that that could be changed within the system? And I'm sure there's a million things. But just just off the top of your head, in regards to contracts, to signing, to stop this type of thing happening, because it is kind of weird. And the only other thing I would point out for Aidan Core is, um, perhaps he also is just making a bit of a business decision here and saying, well, if I'm going to sign a free agent deal with a team that, you know, maybe North Melbourne has been reported, do I even want to put my hand up to play in this final game of the season and potentially tear my ACL and lose that money that I'm going to earn next year? So all these factors come into play. When you asked that question, the first thing I, you know, that came to my head was is
0: you know, the, the re-signing of, of contracts, like the contract extensions. It's weird that it can sort of happen really at any point to yeah. me. Um, I think there should be some sort of, yeah. You know, by the time we hit, Yeah, 1st of April. All right, that's it. The contracts are locked in and if you haven't Mm -hmm. re-signed by then, then you become a free agent. And that doesn't mean that you can't then, again, as you said, then after the grand final, that window opens up and if the team wants to offer you a new one for the the next season, they they get that little bit of extra advantage over the free market. But that's, rather than, it happens at random times throughout the season. I feel like that sort of stuff should be settled in off-season periods and maybe the first couple of weeks of the season and then, you actually sort of know who is going to be a free agent, who isn't going to be a free agent. There's a lot more. And this, instead of teams putting in this work for guys and they do it for 16, 17 weeks and it gets to, to round 17 and then you know, Finlayson signs a, a contract extension uh, here for the Giants and you go, oh, well, we hope to get him. And then it, it happened at this point. I just think that there's no... And I know the players wanted that contract extension freeze lifted during the season, but I just think it should be... Well, here's, here's your cutoff. Get it all done before the season starts and then... And then that because you hear players say, oh, "Yeah, we'll get it figured out later." I'm just concentrating on the season. Then there is no excuse because you can't sign anything until the season is done. Your manager can do stuff behind the scenes or whatever, but that's that that focus is off. You don't have to worry about who's signing, who's not, because if it's not done
1: by this day, then it's over. Yeah, I kind of agree with that for sure. Um, it, it's it's really messy. Everything is unnecessarily messy within the AFL, and uh, I think the players might push back on that one, as you said. I think they like the fact that they can get it done during the season potentially. It eases a little bit of pressure on them if there's questions coming their way and that sort of stuff. But I don't know. Just just clear it up. Clear it up. Do it in the uh, do it in the off season. That would make a lot of sense to me. Uh, the brownlow virtual brownlow. Do you care about this at all? No, not not in the slightest. Like I
0: could not. This is I said this to you before we recorded. I just assumed this was going to be the case anyway. So if they had have come out and said no, we're doing an in person brownlow, then I would have been shocked. And go, what are you guys doing? Um, but. No, I, I I just I just don't care in the slightest. I'm sure there are plenty of people who um you would have liked to have gotten dressed up and, and go there, the teams that are finished and you know, have some drinks and catch up with friends, and but that, that's fine. This is not the situation we're living in. It's a virtual night, and uh, I think that was to be expected. And I don't really think that it's really all that big of a news
1: uh, news story. No, I'm with you. I'm hoping that the brownie is actually shorter. The broadcast should be shorter. There's no excuse. Oh yeah, yeah no just need just for ba- to go on for four hours. So. Bang them out in forty five minutes. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about uh, the prospect of that. No one wants. None of these players are going to want to sit on a Zoom call. They're not going to care. So let's just let just roll through it. Let's get it going. Yep. Mason Wood dropped this week. I know we'll talk about North Melbourne West Coast a little bit later on the Thursday night footy game. What do you think's next for Mason Wood? He's only 26. This is a guy that, at times through his career, I've thought this guy looks good. This guy looks like he can be a real impact player in the league. He's only played 65 games. Few injuries have been. Uh, in there have held him back a little bit. But a lot of it's just been consistency. He has kicked 76 goals in those, so more than uh, a goal a game. Big drop-off this year, though. Big drop-off. Last year, he played 18 games, kicked 21 goals, 21. So 42 scoring shots from 18 games. This year, he's kicked three goals, two from eight games. Just hasn't been able to have an impact at all. The fact that he's dropped a week out from the end of the season for North Melbourne tells me maybe he's not going to be there next year. What do you think? I, I I still sort of view Mason Wood as a guy that some teams might say, yeah, I can see him being a second or third tall in a good team. Yeah,
0: I, I'm the same as you because the times that I've watched him play over the years, I've been like, okay, this guy, this guy looks like he can be something. Now I didn't think he was, you know, almost 27. I think he actually just might have turned 27. So he's mm-hmm. probably a little bit older than expected, and to play only 65 games. Uh, during those eight years that he's he's been around is probably a little bit worrisome and consistency has been a massive issue. But there's been you know, you know, issues with North Melbourne all season. And we can say that he had a bad year and so did you know, Ben Brown as a forward because the supply coming in, well, blame goes to, to Wood and to other forwards too. It wasn't entirely on them. It's so much to do with how things happen up the field as well. I reckon if he was 25 I'd be more inclined to you know throw a little bit at him but he is out of contract in this season I think this almost guarantees that he won't be back at North Melbourne and they won't be uh, he's a restricted free agent they won't be uh you know matching deals that, that come in but you're right. As a, you know, I, in terms of, we've talked about Melbourne's forward line all season, and you know who's taking those grabs and who's who's in there. Like as a as another option, there could he work in that scenario? Could he work as a Collingwood forward? Could he, could he work uh, as a sort of tall, small, mid sized forward for the Bulldogs? There are plenty of teams who who want this guy, and I don't think that the asking price is going to be too high given the way that the season has gone.
1: I guess him playing for Brisbane, I mean we've spoke about them. Yep. In, in the past, obviously, they've got Hipwood. He's a a guy that they like. I know McStay's played a lot of forward, uh, time up, spent a lot of time up forward uh, this year as well. Jeremy Cameron is the small forward. But Mason Wood sort of flying around the half forward line makes sense because uh, last year, again, if I go back to a season ago, uh, he averaged 14 disposals a game. was getting you a contested marker game uh, and, as I said, more than a goal. And, and, the, and the important thing is uh, two shots on goal per game as well. He was kicking multiple goals on regular occasions this year, these disposals have dropped down to below 10. Uh, he's only taken two contested marks all season long. So yeah, something just not quite right there. He's been there for a long time. Um, I, I think, and you know, you look at the age, as you said, if he's just turned 27, uh, I mean, come on, there's there's plenty of time there. He's got another four or five years in the league, particularly if he gets rejuvenated at a place that's uh, playing some winning football. Hasn't won a lot of games at North Melbourne over the years. So yeah, I expect that... Uh, there'll be some pretty handy teams that'll be looking to get Mason Wood on the cheap for sure.
0: One of those teams that I mentioned was Melbourne. And we've talked about the up and down nature of their season. We don't know where it's going to end. They could find themselves playing finals this week. We we just don't know until those games get done across the weekend. But how do we judge this year from Melbourne? We've been pretty harsh on them. They've been a butt of quite a few jokes of ours in terms of consistency, because that's what they've been, completely inconsistent with weird game styles that... Uh, yeah, haven't really suited the the talent that they've had around uh, necessarily. But how, how do we judge them? Are we being a little bit too harsh on this team?
1: Well, my initial thoughts were probably not. There was a pretty good article on statsinsider.com.au, so I'd recommend uh, the listeners go ahead and read that one if you get the chance. And it's basically, which AFL clubs actually have the best young talent? And just from reading through that, there's a bunch of stats through there. It's in, in regards to Rising Star nominations, uh, coaches' votes for players 23 and under, uh, this type of thing. So there's a bunch of different tables there which give you an idea, and certainly some of those awards you will give more weight than others. So for me, Rising Star nominations, again, we spoke about this yesterday. Maybe that's not one I'm giving a lot of weight to. Coaches' uh, coaches votes, for sure. This, this means that uh, over an extended period, if you're up there, In those 23-and-under coaches' votes, you're getting it done consistently uh, and having an impact. I mean, you don't get coaches' votes if you're not having an impact on the game. So anyway, I I recommend everyone goes and listens to that. But uh, what it did strike me to do was pull up the Melbourne list. Now, we keep talking about the 2018 season, and clearly Jesse Hogan had a monster 2018. And he obviously left. And that left a huge void. And ever since, Melbourne have looked like they've been struggling uh, to fill that gap. But when I look at the age demographic of the Melbourne list, I see Nathan Jones who's 32. He's going to be gone at the end of the season, you would almost guarantee. But uh, he's been in and out of their team anyway. They can replace that. Michael Hibbard, at this point, I think is a replaceable player. He's been reliable for them. Unfortunately, he had a few injuries along the journey. But uh, he probably could play again next year. But he's not a, a vital, critical player to this team. And then the only other 30-plus player is Neville Jetta. So, yes, we look at Max Gorn, he's 28 uh, right now, and he is going to be turning uh, 29 in December. But the age demographic of this team, and I can go into it a bit more after I stop rambling and let you go, Josh, but they're a lot younger than I I think we give them credit for. Yeah, they are. There is
0: uh, a bunch of, yeah, Brayshaws, 24 um, yeah, Oliver obviously pretty young. He's just uh, just turned 23. Petraka is still just 24. You know, the, the guys they brought in Jackson and Pickett in the last draft. You know, obviously really young as well. Even guys like Jake Lever, still only 24. Yeah, a guy that feels like he's been around yeah. forever. Yeah, he's, he's still only 24. Like it's it's pretty crazy to me. Jack Viney is is 26. Wiedemann is 23. There is a lot there. And you talked about that article and talking about the the top coaches' votes in those players. Yeah, uh, you know, 23 and under. Yeah, Petraka leads it by an absolute mile, and then you've got uh, Clayton Oliver uh, coming in fifth as well. You've got um, uh, yeah, Brayshaw, I think, a little bit further down the list there too. So you know, there's guys who the major players in their midfield are all you know, 23 and under, uh, using the ages from January the first. So there is a you know, quite a bit of young strength there. And if guys start to develop like Pickett and like Jackson, like we've been talking about, like Jackson's still only 18. Like he doesn't turn 19 for another couple of weeks. These are guys that can push forward with these guys that when these players like Oliver, you become, instead of 23, they're 26, 27. And then you get Jackson, who's then 23, 24, around that same time. Like they are still in that... in that same sort of uh, age group. You, know, you have those guys like Jones that you mentioned, Yeah, Malksham's 29 as well. Like He's probably not going to be in their next really, really good team, but the core of their team, and that, that's what's really key. And we talked about this earlier in the season with Fremantle, saying they had some young guys, but a lot of their major movers, and that's where our worry was with Fremantle, was the, the older guys. Now, they've proven that wrong with some of those young guys stepping forward, but Melbourne's prime movers are all young. So they're all going to continue to get better over the next three, four, five years. And the guys who are older, they are fairly easily replaceable. So I think that while the criticism has been fair this season because they have absolutely butchered the footy at times and had some mind-blowingly bad losses, that doesn't mean that they're completely in the trash as we move forward and things should start to improve over the next two, three, four seasons for this team.
1: So I think the frustration comes from the way they're playing. I think it comes from... The the inconsistency in the effort because uh, this team is always around the mark in the clearances, always around the mark in contested footy. They just are by virtue of the players that they have. But week to week, you don't know what you're going to get in skill level. You don't know what you're going to get in uh, attacking football. Some weeks they look like they want to move it. Some weeks they don't. So I think that inconsistency is the thing that frustrates you with, with the demons because, again, you look at a team like Fremantle, you look at a team like Sydney, and they're bringing it every week. And they're also really young. So when we say Melbourne is young, they're moving into that uh, list demographic where they should be contending. So I think the 2018 season, they were probably ahead of where they should have been. Again, you lose a forward, they kicked 50 old goals that year. uh, And Jesse Hogan, he was a contestant marked beast. And I think that that is still the position that they're looking to fill. I I think at times when I look at the hesitation with Melbourne moving to ball, it's because they don't really know who to kick to. And I think Wiedemann has been pretty good there's no doubt he's been pretty good. I think Petrarca playing him more as a forward has helped fill the void because uh, similar to Collingwood, they don't have that big target that they can just bomb it to. So Petrarca playing in that full four position, if you can push the other guys up and leave him isolated inside 30, then you give yourself a chance. But I still think the, the goal for Melbourne should be to get a big forward. And I know you love Luke Jackson. Uh, I, I think that he's probably the guy they're looking at as the Gorn replacement down the line, and Gohan's still got a few years to go. There's no doubt about that. Jackson showed some skills up forward. But as you said, he is 18. Even next year, he's only going to be 19. So I just wonder with Melbourne, this year, you don't think that they can contend for the flag. Maybe they'll slip slip into the finals. We'll see. Either way, it's been disappointing. It's been frustrating. But I do wonder next year, if, uh, or in the off season, if they do make a, a late charge for a Joe Danaher, or make a charge for Jeremy Cameron, or, or try and get a, a tall forward. I don't think Ben Brown's the type of guy they want. But uh, someone like that. so a target, a target that they can keep the footy to. Yeah, because then we talk about that all the time. It just pushes those other guys you know, like McDonald's if he's
0: going to be in their best 22 or, or guys like Wiedemann and Jackson down to being instead of first or second or third option to second, third and fourth option. And then you enable them to get better matchups and have more of an impact in a role that suits and enable, enable them to grow into other sort of situations and other roles that, that are going to help them in the future. So I think there's a, a little bit in that. Um, but they've got some really—we didn't even mention like some of the other guys. Like Rivers is only yeah, nineteen. Yeah, Salem's twenty-five. There's still a lot of really young talent on this team, and. Yeah, fixing up some of the game plan and decision-making of this team. I think there is a pretty bright future with with this team and who have been shit on this season, yeah, rightfully so, I think at times, but they've also played some pretty good footy in games. Um, and the future does seem pretty bright and I think we have to realize that these guys are yeah really, really young. Their prime movers are, are so young. So it's going to be a really interesting off-season. They are that team that probably does need to push in the next two to three years and make that move, but that's there's nothing really wrong with that, and I think that they can absolutely do it, and it'll uh, be interesting to see how they approach this off-season. Kane, we've got a game. It's on tonight. It is West Coast and uh, North. Not a game with massive um, implications here. West Coast, of course, does need to win to keep their top four hopes alive, but that can be snuffed out pretty quickly. It's not really in their hands. How uh how's West Coast looking in terms of injuries heading into the uh the, the finals? <laughs> because uh Elliot, yo, some concerning information about him with the uh the old osteitis pubis 2008 call, and and eight and wants its uh, injury de jour back. Um not, not looking good for him at the moment. They just don't know when he's gonna return, and that is a, that's a massive blow if he is not fit or not ready to go in, in the finals.
1: Well, it's pretty rare that you hear, and I always talk about this. You know, you got to take some of the information you get from the coaches in these Zoom calls, in these press conferences with a grain of salt, because there's not really a lot in it for them to be 100% open and honest, particularly about injuries. But the fact that he was so uncertain about Elliot Yo tells me that there's a there's a major chance that he's not playing again this season. The injury list has him listed at two to three weeks. Uh, that takes him through to the to the first, probably second week of the finals but basically simpson said he hasn't really made enough progress to really start moving forward with that so then there's conditioning stuff that will be involved with that as well so certainly a huge concern there but then Luke sure he's still listed as one to two weeks with the hamstring so he would be up in the air for that first final jack redden uh two to three weeks for him um jeremy mcgovern another two to three weeks for him uh so uh, Hutchins, two to three weeks. I mean, I can just keep going. Jamie Cripps is still out uh, with the personal reasons, obviously the family stuff. So there's no team in the league right now that has more missing out of their best 22. Now, I don't think there's any chance they lose this game tonight to North Melbourne, who have by far been the worst performed team in the AFL over the last probably three months. But it's going to get difficult for them because as you said, they're going to be crossing their fingers that either Richmond slip to Adelaide or Geelong slipped to Sydney and they can sneak into the top four here because going to four weeks on the trot uh, is going to be difficult for them. But obviously they'll get the home final week one. But, uh, you know, we, we've always said this. Injuries at this time of the year can completely derail a team, particularly in the shortened season, particularly with the finals sticking up on you uh, f- faster than they usually would. Uh, the the four-day breaks, the five-day breaks, which team would have take the toll on the most? And it has to be said, while teams like Essendon and Conley would have dealt with it and copped it through the season, West Coast has got the rough end of the stick now. It's uh, it's pretty brutal. It's a brutal injury list. Yeah look
0: it's not great for them but I think what it also does is for whatever team ends up in 8th, yeah most likely going to have to go to Perth. They'll feel that West Coast is probably at their most gettable that they've been in Perth all season with yeah may yeah likely let's say likely no Yo, likely no Redden, perhaps no Shuey, perhaps no McGovern. If these guys are 3 weeks away then they might not be ready for a, a final. Look, you take those guys out and then the team that sits there in 8th, whether it is uh Collingwood or it is St Kilda or it is the Bulldogs who are in that position, They'll have a level of confidence that if West Coast is banged up and even if those guys come back, they might not be at full strength that that gives them a level of vulnerability. I think they're at uh, in that first final if that is indeed what takes place because that is a it's a bunch of guys who are not only best 22 but you know make the argument
1: best 10, 15 at, at worst maybe for those guys. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is the thing, and this is why this game is, is just feels so irrelevant. And, you know, I mean, try not to disrespect North Melbourne too much, but it's just like, okay, well, win this game. Let's get it over with. Let's move forward and see who's healthy for that first week of the finals. By the way, uh, Tim Kelly, we saw him in that game last week. I spoke last week about the fact that you still have Nick Nanui, you still have Tim Kelly, you still have Andrew Gaff. There's a pretty handy midfield. You're going to be able to roll through there. Uh, Tim Kelly was played his best game since he was playing for Geelong. Best game of the season by a mile. Uh, he looked like he was back to his absolute best form. We know he had some troubles with the hub earlier in the season. He certainly wasn't alone. But Tim Kelly, high-flying, at his absolute best. He is one of the best players in the in the comp to watch, I think. The way he, sh- he shucks the, the taps from Nick Nad clearance. He's so smooth. He's all kind of in slow motion. Skills are beautiful. He's one of those players that, that leaves the ball in front of the forward, doesn't put too much on it, doesn't try to kick the shit out of the ball, just well-weighted kicks all the time. Eh? Ah, man. Love Tim Kelly. Love him. You, uh, you. No, no, uh, no hard feelings on uh, on a former Geelong player. You don't. Uh, you don't no. hate
0: him now that he's that he's left. You know, that he made a choice to change workplaces. You don't. You don't hate him. Cycling back. That's how. You, that's how you tie a podcast together, Kane. Going back from segment three into into segment one. But North Melbourne. This is probably the last time we talk about them for a while, uh, at least until we head into the offseason. They're in a real tough spot with this team. Like, what do they do with these guys who've underperformed? Pittard, Pollock, Ben Brown, Cunnington, who's played. Let's be honest. Did he, did he even play that one game against the Bulldogs? I don't think he did because he was. Uh, he was struggling on that one. Like, what, what do we do with these guys? We talked about Wood already. They are in a very, very troubling spot.
1: Yeah, they are, and unfortunately, we've spoke about this before on the show. They've they're a year late. They've, they've really yeah. wasted some value that they could have got back with some of these guys, and sometimes. As a club, you have to make the choice whether you think you're closer than you are. And it can. And most of the time, it goes wrong, to be honest. It's rare that you you eke that extra year out of these guys uh, when you're a fringe team anyway. I mean, you see some of the top teams like Hawthorne that yeah, they'll go back to the wild with the old guys. But it's like, well, I can sort of understand why you're doing it. You've had success with these guys. The Roos just haven't had success with these guys they went back to the well with. And it. unfortunately, it's going to cost them. So we just talk about Melbourne and the demographic of, of their list. Uh, you look at North, well... they're they're probably three of their best players and might be their three best players. And, and obviously there's some young guys. DeMott in particular has had a fantastic season, but Sean Higgins, he's 32. Todd Goldstein, he's 31. And Robbie Tarrant, he's 30. So three critical guys for them, three guys that has been critical to their success over the last couple of years, well over 30, By the time the season starts uh, next year. They will be well into those, into that, into the thirties, I should say. So, I don't know how much value you get for those guys. I don't know where their future lies. Maybe they'll be back at North Melbourne next year, but uh, I don't know. Jack Siebel's 29, but his body's wrecked. Ben Cunnington's similar at 28. So the problem is the five maybe most critical guys on their list uh, look like they're coming to the end. And I'm not sure what you do with them. I'm not sure if you can get much to them or much for them. But the one guy I would ask you about is Ben Brown. I mean, for me, this guy's only 27. He's soon to be 28. I understand that. But I don't understand what North Melbourne are going to do if they get rid of this guy. For me, you just keep him, keep him, put some young guys in the team, give him a target to kick to. I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be moving on from Ben Brown. Well, the question there is with Brown is he's out of contract, right? So he's not a
0: free agent. So he'd, yeah, they'd need to trade him or he'd need to enter yeah, the draft, into the preseason draft. But what sort of contract do you give him? Like, yeah, obviously, the season has been really poor for him. He's kicked, hasn't even kicked ten goals. For the year, Look, he hasn't played every game, but he's eight eight goals he's kicked for the season. Um, he has looked like at times he's playing for free kicks rather than, and that's been a criticism of him for a long time. But even more pronounced this year because he's not getting the marks, he's not getting the ball, he's um, just way off where he needed to be. So, like, yeah, at twenty seven ish, twenty eight, like you are going to be twenty eight soon. What sort of deal do you give him? Like, how much faith do you have to, in him to turn it around at this point?
1: Well, I think you have faith in him because 27-28, you know, I mean, he's in his prime. So he should be able to play for another three or four years. I mean, he's cost himself some money. I mean, I don't think that the suitors would be coming in with the same type of contract that they were at the start of the season anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate for him. But he's had some personal stuff going on as well and a weird year to be in a hub. And clearly, um, or maybe, I mean, I'm speculating, maybe there's been some distractions that have uh that have made things difficult for him. So I'd be backing him in. I can see Ben Brown coming back next year and kicking 40 to 50 goals for sure. Good. But uh, I will say, uh, playing for this North Melbourne team, uh, let's be honest. I mean, we've all watched them play. I mean, no one would want to be a, a tall forward playing for North Melbourne this year. Yeah, that's what I, like I said with with Wood
0: before as well. Look, Brown had three
1: straight 60-plus
0: goal seasons. Yeah. He's, he's kicked eight this year. It's a uh, <laughs> it, it's a phenomenal drop-off. Um, but you, I don't... Expect him to get back to being a sixty-goal player, but forty is yeah, a, a potential option. I guess again, that's going to depend on what's happening with this forward line. If he had it, if he led the goal kicking at, at twenty-eight goals next season, I don't think I'd be completely surprised, given how this team could look. Um, and it's some similar to what we talked about with the Danaher situation earlier on. Yeah, people saying, "Oh, don't play him so you can get trade value," but at that point, you're getting no value from. Him. And if North Melbourne looks to move on from him at the end of this season, like what what value are we actually getting? Whereas if you sign him at what current market rate might be, which is really low, then you might have a bargain deal for the next two years on Ben Brown because he's cost himself a lot of money and demand should be a little bit lower. But it's also also going to come down to what, what he wants. I guess he doesn't have that free agency uh, flexibility, but he can also you know, agitate for a move as happens so often. I think, again, if I was North Melbourne, I'd be looking to, to lock in at, at a cheaper price here for a couple of years and let's just see what we can do uh, as a guy who... Um, who can provide some value. But I guess the thing there is, Kane, you talked about you missed the vote on trading Goldstein or trading Mm -hmm. Higgins. If a team does come in with a decent offer for Brown, uh, even after this bad season, who at the age of 28, he's got some good footy left, but is that good footy going to be enough to make North Melbourne into a good team in the next two to three years? I'd say probably doubtful. If someone comes in and goes, he's a second rounder for him, a late first, uh, would you say, uh, okay, well, now now we do have to bite the bullet on that? Look, North Melbourne's history would tell you that they don't, but we've criticized them for making that mistake on hanging on too long on
1: other guys, that maybe that, that might be a better option for them. Maybe, but I do think they have to keep someone around, and I think that's going to be the problem with North Melbourne. I mean, I think they're going to bottom out. I think they've, they've understood or they understand where they are um, but you don't want to lose everyone, I guess. I mean, it would just be disastrous next year watching them on field. The other thing I will say is maybe you just change his role around a little bit if you can bring him back, uh, push him up the ground a little bit. We know he moves well. We know he's a good mark on the lead. He always has been. So maybe instead of being that traditional full forward, Ben Brown can push up to that 40, 50 mark. You can move up the ground, up the wings a little bit, create a contest there, give them someone to kick to because Nick Larky's been pretty good. He's been a contestant marker Um, at times. He's been someone that they can just chuck it up in the air and he can go up and and take a grab. He's kicked 12 goals uh, so far this year. So Nick Larkey is one that they really want to continue to develop. And I think uh, that'll be the discussions they're having. Where does Ben Brown fit with Nick Larkey? Is there a position for Ben Brown to move up the ground? Uh, Because I don't think, uh, you know, Larkey's the guy where North Melbourne are that they need to be pouring their time into. It's not Ben Brown. They know who he is. They know who he can be. That would probably be the decision. What impact is Ben Brown going to have on Nick Larkey? And again, from the outside, it's it's kind of it's kind of difficult to say what those conversations would look like.
0: Yeah, look, that's yeah, last thing on this, I think that's yeah, key there is we know what Brown is. He's not going to be. Yeah, they're a key player on their next good team. So does he help Larkey or does he does he inhibit hmm. Larkey? And you talked yeah. about they're going to bottom out. Like, How much lower can they go, honestly, than where they are at the moment? So yeah, if you can get another first-round pick in now, when you're going to get pick one or pick two in this draft, if you can get picks 18 or pick 20 in for, for Ben Brown to add with pick two and pick 19 or whatever else you're getting at this point, then maybe that's a move to do especially because that does put more time into Larky plus you get two younger guys to come in at around a similar uh, at this similar sort of time to all develop together I wouldn't be adverse to it and while you say yeah that's gonna make him unwatchable I don't imagine it's going to be all that, uh, all that watchable or it's going to be all that fun for them next season to watch uh, Yeah, Brown run around on a team that can't necessarily get him the ball where he needs it. There could be some problems there, but that's obviously a tough decision that they need to uh, think about and uh, and work out what's best for their team and hopefully they don't make the wrong one there. But uh, if you guys subscribe to this podcast, you're definitely not making the wrong decision because, Kane it's been another great show. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh,
1: we will. And uh, yeah, West Coast North Melbourne tonight, uh, I think. We probably should never rule out any type of upset. I think we think can rule West this one out. West Coast let's, is a lot tonight. Yeah, let's rule it out. you nah, never No, I'm ruling it
0: out. Let's go. <laughs> Guys, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and leave us a five-star review. It's a great way to help out the show. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Tony Antrobus.